0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: Hey there. So today, as usual, we are talking about a word. Juggernaut. But I'm going to have some company telling the story. Hi, Johanna. Hey, Dylan. Dylan Thuris is co-founder of Atlas Obscura, which is a really cool, like, magazine experience <laughs> podcast. How do you describe Atlas Obscura? It's it's
2: it's a guide to the world's hidden wonders in in many forms, as a website, as a book, as a podcast. Yeah,
1: yes. And you are the host of that podcast. And each episode of the show is about a particular place.
2: And the thing that surprised me, and why we're doing this together, is that the word juggernaut, it comes from a place and. Once you learn the story behind it, it kind of changes how you think about the word.
1: So today, we are going to look at how this word, juggernaut, and this place are connected. Here we go.
0: Captain Crunch, front of the TV, 8 a.m. or whatever time. And yeah, that was just like my ritual every morning.
1: This is Chris Agusa. He's my colleague here at Science Diction, and he's talking about Saturday morning cartoons.
0: I would not miss it, and I would just, like, for two or three hours, just be in in bliss.
1: And his favorite show? Oh, uh,
0: it was definitely X-Men.
1: And there was one bad guy that Chris still remembers. Me,
2: Juggernaut!
0: Juggernaut was just this huge, unstoppable villain. Just pure force. He is indestructible, he has superhuman strength, Probably like real comic book nerds would, would probably school me on the lore. But I, he's like, the, I think, the strongest mutant. And he just comes and nothing can stop him. There is one scene where he throws a tank at Wolverine. And he just says, "Thank you very much. And I was just like, I ate it up as a kid.
2: Juggernaut was also my favorite like, childhood villain. He's not even that, like, I don't know, other villains are, like, more powerful. They can, like, fly and shoot beams. But there was something about the idea of this just giant, unstoppable guy.
1: Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's literally the definition of a juggernaut, this huge, unstoppable force.
2: When I hear the word juggernaut, honestly, I think of that cartoon character. But it's a word we use all the time in different contexts. Like, if a, like, a sports team, if, like, a basketball team is, is, Destroying the playoffs, they're they're an absolute juggernaut. Mm-hmm. You know, if a if a politician is is way ahead, they're an unstoppable juggernaut. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you find out where this word really comes from, you might think twice about using it. I'm Dylan Thuris,
1: and I'm Johanna Mayer. And today, we're talking about juggernaut, the word.
2: And Jagannath, an actual place in the world, and how these two things have become unfairly intertwined. That's after this.
1: It's 2014, and deep in the National Library of India in Kolkata, there's this philosophy grad student who's just toiling away at his dissertation. His name is Ujankosh, and it's there in the National Library that he comes across this book.
3: It was called An Apology for Promoting Christianity in India by Claudius Buchanan.
1: Except Claudius Buchanan wasn't actually apologizing for promoting Christianity. He was defending it. Buchanan was a missionary stationed in eastern India in the early 1800s, which is like right after the British took control of the region. And he's this really devout, outspoken man. He's never one to back down from a fight. And so, as Ujan's reading this book, he notices Buchanan just keeps using this one word over and over again: juggernaut. And Ujan knows this word, but. The juggernaut Buchanan is talking about is not a cartoon villain or like a powerful destructive force. It's a place, a place that Ujan knows really well because it's a famous temple in Puri, a coastal town in northeast India. And Puri is a really popular vacation spot. Ujjan used to go there with his family.
3: It's extremely beautiful. It's a very, very small town. It's, it's like if... <sighs> I don't know. The perfect American example would be someplace like Florida.
2: It's a vacation town. It's like a resort. Yeah.
1: It's a nice town. And people usually come there for one of two reasons. And the first is exactly that. It's a nice beach town. The other reason is to visit this temple that's just on the edge of town. It's massive. It's almost a thousand years old. And it is like strikingly beautiful, Dylan. There are over a hmm. hundred different shrines surrounded by a wall two stories tall. It's like a whole temple complex. And its name is Jagannath Temple.
2: This, this sounds amazing. This sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. What's the story behind it? What's the story of the temple? Well,
1: so it's named after the Hindu god Jagannath. Jagannath lives inside the temple along with his brother and sister. And Jagat means world or cosmos, and Nath means lord. So Jagannath is basically the lord of the universe.
2: I mean, I have to say that's pretty boss. That's like a bo-
1: <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And so as Ujan sat there in the library, he realized that this missionary Buchanan had just anglicized the name of the temple. Like he had turned Jagannath into Juggernaut. So that's when I realized that these things are connected. But the juggernaut temple that Buchanan was describing was just nothing like the temple Ujan had visited as a kid. Instead of a temple in this beautiful coastal town, Buchanan was describing the area basically as a valley of death. He said the ground was littered with corpses for miles, described dogs and vultures eating the flesh of bodies. And he said that juggernaut was, quote, a fountain of vice and misery.
2: It makes me think about, like, early travel texts where, like, there was, like, things that were real, but then they were, like, mixed in with these, like, completely crazy, like, they, it, and then everyone's a cannibal. You know, it's, like, this kind of stuff where, you know, really um, kind of exploitive and the most uh, titillating ideas are, like, put front and center.
1: Definitely. And in Buchanan's telling, the bloodiest of all was the annual Chariot Festival or Ratha Yatra. Buchanan wrote that there were just, like, frenzied devotees to Juggernaut who would throw themselves under the wheels of these massive wooden chariots and be crushed to death. And it's in this image, this unstoppable machine-like chariot crushing everything in its path, that you see echoes of the word that we use today, Juggernaut. Now, on the one hand, it is entirely possible that some people died,
3: there's probably had been accidents in the past, which does not seem very unlikely to me because an accident or two can happen.
1: Unfortunately, at huge gatherings, this does happen sometimes. I mean, we saw this just recently with the Astroworld concert in Houston when the crowd just surged and 10 people were killed. But these kinds of deaths are tragedies. And as Ujan says, there are also accidents But Buchanan was going so far as to say that the death at Juggernaut is not only widespread, it's not an accident.
2: Yeah, which is two very different things. In a way, though, it's it's not that surprising because you see this a lot in early and colonial texts. But one question is, why did Buchanan get focused on this particular temple or this particular ceremony?
1: Okay, so this is a little complicated, but... As usual, things come down to money complications. So at the time, Jagannath Temple was controlled by the British. You know, they had colonized the region via the East India Trading Company. And they were just making tons of money on this thing because they would charge pilgrims a tax to enter Jagannath Temple.
2: Uh-huh. So
1: they were essentially you know, profiting off of what Buchanan would say was the worship of false idols.
2: Right. So the, the, the East India Trading Company is making money hand over fist, but it's also like propping up this non-Christian enterprise.
1: Exactly. And Buchanan okay. hated that and wanted uh-huh. that to stop. So he trashes the temple's reputation.
2: So he's obviously he has like a real in this book. He's got a pretty clear agenda he's after. (laughs) It's
1: fair to say. Um, And I mean, eventually the British press even acknowledged that Buchanan was lying. By the 1870s, they admitted that any of the deaths that had happened at the Rathayatra were probably just accidents. Um, There was one article that even straight up said that earlier accounts of the festival, like Buchanan's accounts, were, quote, Quite imaginary.
2: Strong journalistic integrity for the for the 1870s I re- <laughs> for 1870
1: colonialists. Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. I'm, I'm. I'm. It's sort of uh, n- nice to see it, and I mean, you can almost hear it in the language you're describing because, like, a valley of death, like soaked in blood with crushed bones and a giant cherry. It's so mythical. It's, it's so like, like out of a, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, it true. I mean, the irony is actually is that that kind of language feels like something from like. A comic book.
1: Right. So we can't go back 200 years ago, but the Chariot Festival that Buchanan was all up in arms about, you know, the rathayatra that still happens every year. And it seems kind of incredible. So Dylan, let me just send you these YouTube clips. Look at, at the 45 second mark.
2: Let's see. 45. Let's get about here. Oh, wow.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful.
2: This festival's, it's incredible. It's enormous. Inno- th- these are amazing, mm-hmm. like parade, like floats, basically. Like these chariots are multi-story and beautiful. And there's there's so many people here. This is incredible.
1: These videos are from the 2015 and 2021 Rathayatra. For nine days over the summer, more than a million people come to Puri for this festival to celebrate Lord Jagannath's journey. And... As you look at that video, like, the vibe of this thing is just so different it, from what b described, right? Yeah. It's a
2: jam. It's like people are, are there for it. <laughs>
1: totally. It is spectacular. The story behind it is also just really delightful. Apparently, these giant chariots are taking Lord Jagannath and his siblings to his aunt's summer house. a.k.a. a different temple a mile and a half up the road. Uh And after a week of family togetherness, they head back home where Jagannath's wife had actually been waiting at home this entire time.
3: So upon coming back, his um, wife gets very mad at him for having left her. And then there's a huge story of how he has to make sure that she's placated after then he can enter the temple and things like that.
2: So okay there are some hurt marital feelings to to manage. But yes. so far, you know, this story of a family visit and and making up with a with an angry spouse, like this is pretty far from the missionary version of this story.
1: Ujan actually told me one little detail which was that apparently in the story Jagannath presents his wife with candy as sort of a kiss and make up type this situation. This is the sweetest.
2: Like there's like, there's nothing but kind of like gentle delight here. And this whole thing is feeling extraordinarily non-threatening.
1: It is. And the thing is, Ujan told us that Hindus often interpret Jagannath as sort of a young version of the god Krishna, who's the god of protection and love.
3: Compassionate, empathetic, borders on cute, but sometimes on naughty because he does a lot of things that he should not do for his child's age.
2: Okay, so we have like two really conflicting versions of of Juggernaut now. Like, on one hand... We do. Yeah, so there's there's Buchanan's version, which is there's this valley of death of Mm. bones and blood, and in it is the Temple of Juggernaut, and, like, people throw (laughs) themselves under the crushing wheels of a chariot. And on the other hand, the evidence seems to point to a festival celebrating a mischievous god, the kind of, like, younger version of Krishna, uh, who is going on a family vacation to their on summer home. I feel like that is a strikingly different vibe for what a juggernaut is.
1: But you can imagine which version of the story Christian readers back in America and Britain latched onto.
3: Yeah. His book sort of, like, in today's terms, went viral. Everybody started reading his book and saying, oh, how Buchanan is great. This idol is the worst thing that has ever happened. We somehow think that we have, like, we have advanced, and we of course have, but some of the things are so similar.
2: This is, like, exactly what still happens. I feel like we still live in this world.
1: And so as Buchanan's story spread, the real Jagannath the Temple and Jagannath the God were left behind. And in their place was Buchanan's juggernaut this huge, unstoppable, menacing force.
3: As soon as the European audience starts using the word to address anxieties and problems of their society, that's when the word gets imbued in a meaning that in a way that it cannot be divested of.
1: And so this word juggernaut starts showing up like all over in British and American culture. Like there was this 1830s political cartoon that referred to alcoholism as the gin juggernaut. Anti-communists called communism the red juggernaut. And the irony of all of this is that basically the word juggernaut became its own unstoppable force. Hmm. Juggernaut became a juggernaut.
2: So what about Ujjan? Does he still use
3: the word juggernaut? Oh, no, no, no. Ah, no. So many words have histories of violence that we are not aware of. And somehow I cannot look past that violence. I just don't use that at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, he used to use the word a lot when talking about sports.
3: For example, if somebody's playing really good and wheeling along, I would probably, i just stop myself and say, hmm, so they are really good.
1: Really good doesn't really roll off the tongue quite like juggernaut. And I mean, that's the thing about juggernaut is that it is like a really useful word. But yeah. I... I- get where Ujian's coming from. It doesn't quite feel right.
2: Totally. And, and I mean, it's interesting that it went from being kind of an evil, unstoppable force to being just more generally an unstoppable force.
1: Yeah. And look, I'm not out here trying to tell people whether or not to use a certain word because, hmm. I mean, I think sometimes the word juggernaut even has kind of a positive connotation, you know? Like, in yeah. our field, I've heard people refer to really good producers as juggernauts, for example. So I just think this comes up in the English language all the time with words that have either, like, a complicated or sometimes just a flat-out racist origin story, but they're also just so disconnected from that past. So, I don't know, like, is there anything intrinsically wrong with the word itself? Or can we find another way to use it?
2: Yeah, it's such an interesting question. I mean, you do you do want a word that means what that, what juggernaut means because it's a Mm -hmm. useful concept. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I also feel like you could, as we talked about and you learned about the real history, like uh, it it feels like it would also be amazing to have a word that was like an unstoppable force of empathy or love. Like that feels like a useful word that we, we don't have. And I also think it's juggernaut is a real place. It's a real temple and it sounds incredible. And so it's also nice to retie the word to its root location. The festival sounds amazing. So I, I'm in a way, another kind of, for me, like new use of the word is just to refer to the, the place itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe that's enough.
2: Yeah. What an amazing, surprising story. And people could still go visit this temple. Is that a thing that, that non-devotees can do in a, in a respectful way?
1: so if you are not hindu you're actually not allowed inside Jagannath temple itself but you can watch the Ratha yatra which takes place outside in the streets free for anyone to view and of course the beaches at puri are beautiful year round
2: yes yes a good place to take a short trip to an aunt's house well
1: thanks johanna thank you dylan this episode was a collaboration between Science Fiction and Atlas Obscura, along with Science Friday and Witness Docs. It was produced by me, Johanna Mayer.
2: And me, Chrissy Gussa. Our editors were... Ella Fetter. And... John Delore.
1: Our composer is...
2: Daniel Peterschmidt.
1: Fact-checking by... Danya Abdelhamid.
2: And the episode was mastered by... Luce Fleming.
1: I'm Johanna Mayer.
2: And I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time.